Well, Hope family, uh, you are in for a treat this morning. Our friend Liz Tolo is going to be preaching the message. Did I get it right? Did I say it right in public? Okay, good. I thought I had it. Okay. Liz is going to be preaching the message today, and I have wanted to have her speak here at Hope for a long time. Just want to let you know just a little bit about uh, Liz. Um, she has her master's in leadership from Grand Canyon University. She's finishing another master's in ministry leadership through Fuller Seminary this fall. Uh, Liz has been in full-time ministry for over a decade. She currently is splitting her time between two different ministries. Um, Young Lives, anybody familiar with Young Lives? Young Lives, a ministry to, here we go, right on. To, uh, ministry to teen moms, uh, um, their babies, uh, the dads, and it's a part of the Young Life organization. That's the first one. Then she also serves uh, at a ministry called Surge, which networks local church pastors and leaders for more effective missional church ministry. Now, if that wasn't enough for you, you must be young, right? Um, she also coaches girls basketball at Westwood High in Mesa. And she was recently, she's a newlywed, recently married to Sam over here, who teaches at Greenfield Junior High and coaches freshman football at Highland. Did I get that right? Um, so it must be nice to be young and full of energy. This is so good. So good. Well, one of the things um, that we love about Liz is her heart to show the love of Jesus to people who don't come from church backgrounds, as well as her heart to see people who are already followers of Jesus go deeper in spiritual formation. And I am really glad that she is here this morning to bless Hope Covenant Church. So will you all give her a warm Hope Covenant family welcome? I'm, I'm tired. I need a sabbatical. Jeez. Oh man, I'm Liz. It's so great to be with you guys. And when Doug invited me to come, uh, it was a no-brainer to be with you guys and with the family here. And my husband Sam and I, if you guys haven't met us yet, we'd love to say hi. We've been coming the last couple of weeks and really enjoying being a part of Hope so far. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. If you're old school like me and bring your Bible, uh, you can open up if you're an app person. If not, I got the text on the screen, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be talking about a really familiar miracle story, the feeding of the 5,000. Now, many of you guys have probably heard this story before, and I have to believe that it's because it's one of two miracles that show up in all four of the gospel. So it shows up in Matthew 14, it shows up in Luke 9, Mark 6, and John 6. So it's one of two. Does anyone have a guess at what the other miracle is? The resurrection. Good. The pastor got it. Good. Good. We're, we're in good hands. We're in good hands. We're in good hands. Yes, it's the resurrection, which is an important piece, right, to the narrative story of who Jesus is and brings completion this gospel story. But the feeding of the 5,000 is also the only other one that shows up. So we have to ask the question, what is it about this story and why is it so important to show up in all four? Okay, In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they refer to this as the miracle. In John, John refers to this as a sign. And I like that language a lot, right? Because when you're driving down the road, you see a sign, and a sign is directing you towards something. And that's the goal of what miracles are. The goal of a miracle is to point us to answer a question. And today, I think that this text is going to answer the question, who is is 
Jesus. And we are also going to have to do a little bit of work to get there. So this is a participation uh, points type of Sunday morning where we have to do some internal work to also ask that question of who is Jesus to us, okay? And so we're going to jump in into Luke chapter 9, but let me pray for us and we'll get going. God, thank you for who you are, how you have shown up for us, how we have all arrived in a seat this Sunday morning, not by accident, but for a purpose. So Holy Spirit, I pray that there would be a stirring that would begin to happen as we look into your word. And that it would be your words, Jesus, that transform us or speak to us or nudge us and deposit something into us this morning that would call us not into just more intimacy with you, but also into some sort of action um, in the places that we live, work, spend our time, study. So we surrender this time to you. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 9. We're going to be verse 1 and 2, which... We got up on the screen. Awesome job. All right. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them the power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So we see Jesus. He calls together the 12 And he says, hey, you guys have been following me for the last couple of months. You guys have been listening to the ways that I've been teaching. You guys have been seeing and witnesses to the miracles. Now it's go time. Now it's your turn. And I'm giving you all power and all authority to go out and do what I have called and prepared you to do. What I love about this is in Mark, the Mark account says that he sends them out two by two. So they weren't alone. We're never alone. And I think that God is preparing them to know this, to know that they're already fully equipped for the things that he is going to call them to do by what? His power and authority alone. You already have everything that you need for what God is inviting you and calling you to do. We keep reading. Verse 3. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Where? Everywhere. I like it. So Jesus pairs them up, sends them out, and they're off with nothing. No shirt, extra shirt. They weren't running around naked. No extra shirt, no food, no money, relying on the hospitality of the region in Galilee. 
I don't know about you guys, but I love, I'm an over-preparer. Like, when we go on trips, I'm like, I have snacks for the road trip. We have food to cook once we get, like, I love to over-prepare for every single detail. And, and, and my husband's so, gr- so great for me in this because he's, like, as chill as he can be, like, classic like Polynesian go with the flow guy and so we we just match each other really well but I love to over prepare and I can imagine the disciples in this situation being like are you for real we're about to leave with nothing and Jesus is saying you already have exactly what you need you have power and authority so they go out And they're healing people where? When I was um, 19, almost turning 20, uh, I did what every college millennial who had just found Jesus during that time, it was a very popular thing to do during this time, it was to Google college-age mission trips. So my parents were really proud of me because I dropped out of college And I signed up to go abroad and live in Kenya for a little bit. And before that trip, there was a home church in San Diego where I grew up, and they were going to be the sending church for this missions trip. And so we had a little prayer night the week before I was about to leave. And um, when we were uh, praying, there was these beautiful prayers that people were praying over me, you know, for travel mercies and to keep Liz healthy, right? And then, out of nowhere, there's this gentleman in the back, and he starts to pray this prayer, and I will never forget it. I'm sure my mom also appreciated this prayer. But he said, can you put Liz in situations where her back is up against the wall, and you have to show up, and you have to move, and she has to know that she can only be fully dependent, not on herself, but on you. And I remember just getting chills from head to toe. There was this radicalness in that prayer. But I have to imagine that this is also what Jesus is sending his disciples out with. That they are going to get put into situations where they have to absolutely rely on God to show up or else. So the 12, two by two, head out. And they head out all over the Galilee region, which at the time was ruled by a leader named Herod Antipas, okay? And so we're going to read verses 7 through 9, and he comes into the story. Now, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed. Because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others, that Elijah had appeared, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. Okay, first, who is Herod Antipas? He's the son of Herod the Great. Okay, we know Herod the Great. Herod the Great showed up earlier in the book of Luke where he puts out this decree to kill all the sons under two years old, which would have been Jesus at the time. And Herod the Great had divided his kingdom up amongst all of his sons. And so Herod Antipas had the Galilee region. And we read context from some of the other accounts in Matthew, Mark, and John. And we know that Herod did something terrible. It says here that he beheaded John. It's a really gory story. Um, He actually served John's head on a platter 
at a banquet. He was not messing around. And so he starts hearing about all this is going on, and he asks the question, who is this? I have to pause to consider how do we live our lives in a way that the world around us goes, who is that Jesus that you follow? Are we living our lives in a way that is causing the community or the people that we rub shoulders with day in and day out to ask this same question? This is what Jesus was doing. This is what his disciples were calling people into. So Herod, asking that question, I now want to push out to you guys and myself to even consider How am I living my life in a way that I cause people to ask that question? Or when is the last time that I've had someone even come up to me and say, you live your life very differently than the world? Who, who, why? Is it extra compassion we extend, generosity we extend, mercy and grace we extend, showing up for our neighbors? Something to consider. So then we get into the text, verse 10. And Luke actually spends the rest of this chapter answering that question, who is Jesus? So if you guys want some reading for the week, feel free to finish the chapter. Verse 10 says, when the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. So the disciples get back and they do like a missions report, right? They're like, all right, Jesus, this is where we went. We went to this village and this village. We healed people where? You're still with me. And then they also have to report really awful news to Jesus. Because we know from some of the other gospel accounts that they were actually a part of going and getting John the Baptist's body and laying it in the tomb and giving it its proper burial. So they were the ones that had to break the news to Jesus that his cousin, John the Baptist, died and was murdered. So Jesus, hearing this news, withdraws. The disciples, hungry, tired, We know they're hungry because in in Mark it actually says that uh, they actually haven't even eaten yet. Tired, broke, super broke. They all escape. They all withdraw. They all get away. And so they're headed to Bethsaida. And we read this in verse 11. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. So Jesus and his disciples head to the other crowd and or head to the other side of the lake, and the crowds race to get there. And they show up and they're like waiting for Jesus, following him, and Jesus completely dismisses them. No. He welcomes them. Full of grief, 
Jesus is completely interruptible. I mean, just read the Gospels. I'm like, this guy gets interrupted all day. He's going from one place to the next and is constantly getting interrupted. I hate getting interrupted. Anyone else? Okay, good. Thank you, front row. All five of you got it. (laughs) Check. Hate the interruption crowd right here. I hate it. Yet Jesus is so interruptible. How do we allow ourselves to be interruptible for the kingdom of God? Are we so set, like I said, I like to prepare. Are we so set in our plans that we leave no space for that? Actually, a couple um, of Halloweens ago, I was driving with some friends in the car, and we had these, uh, like, jack-o'-lantern candy things that we were going to be giving out to people and we were in downtown Phoenix area, and um, there was a homeless guy standing there who said he was hungry. I'm like, well, we have a jack-o'-lantern of candy. I don't know if this is the best thing for him, but let's give it to him. And so he runs over off the 17 interstate, and, and he grabs the jack-o'-lantern of candy. And what he did next was so amazing. He didn't keep the candy for himself or run back to his position. There was a van a couple cars back from us that had all these kids in it. And he grabs the jack lantern and he runs over and he starts offering all the candy that we had just given him to all these kids so they could have candy. And I was like, man, that's so generous that he was able to think about somebody else in the midst of his own life and situation. Am I that open-handed with my plans or myself that I can do that? That I could see the other the way that this guy saw the other? So Jesus does that. He welcomes this crowd all the way in, and he teaches them about the kingdom of God, which just is the realm in which God is king. It's very fancy, but it's just the realm in which God is king. And then he also heals them. We continue. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came, we're in verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. So, The disciples are clearly like, hey, it's getting late. We're still tired. We still haven't eaten. We were coming to get away. And Jesus does something amazing. He tells them, you give them something to eat. And they're like, yeah, verse 3, you sent us with nothing. So what, what are we supposed to give them? Right? But I want to pause here. I want to talk a little bit about compassion. And what is happening here? Everything Jesus is doing is a teachable moment for the disciples. And Jesus is currently teaching his disciples how to cultivate compassion. In other gospel accounts, in Matthew and in Mark, when Jesus, it says, in Luke, when it said he welcomed them, in Matthew and Mark, it says he has compassion on them. And Mark even says, they looked like sheep without a shepherd. What is compassion? 
I heard this definition once, and it stuck with me. It's when we are moved to the core for the sake of someone else. When we are moved to the core for the sake of someone else. So it's this deep feeling, this empathy, and an appropriate action to go along with it. So it's a deep feeling and something expressed in kindness or mercy or grace or sitting with or advocating for or listening to. It's a deep emotion and an action. We are all in this room because of compassion. God was moved to his core for his people. So much so that he sent Jesus to experience all things. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He went through wilderness seasons. He went hungry. He was betrayed by his friends and the government. And then Jesus was moved to his very core that ultimately led him to the cross, which we so call what? The, the passion. So Jesus, with passion, moved to the cross and it didn't end there, as we know. The second miracle that shows up in all four is the resurrection. But everything Jesus did was fueled by compassion. And Jesus here is demonstrating to his disciples that you must first receive compassion and my compassion so that you can then give it away. We have to first receive from Christ before then we can give it away. Um, a real moment when Doug asked me to preach. I knew you guys were in the Spotlight series, so I like went up on the Cove. I'm a friend of the Cove, but I'm not in the Cove. So I went on the Cove website, and I was like, okay, what does the Cove believe? Let me, maybe I could continue their, their sermon series and where they're at. And I, I also texted him a big, long list of things. That, Here's some things I enjoy preaching on and talking about and have taught before. And, and so I started working my way through a topic um, that's not this. Spoiler alert, because of course the Holy Spirit gets to do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And as I was preparing that other topic, which maybe someday I'll teach on, you never know, ministry of reconciliation, um, and I just felt the Holy Spirit go, you need, to, you need to teach from a place of something you yourself are also learning right now. And um, this summer, my husband and I, um, went through just a big grief and loss season. And yet, before me, were all these things we still had to accomplish and do. And one of those things was, like Doug said, I work for a ministry called Young Life, but specifically for Young Lives, which is their outreach to teen moms and babies. It is by far the coolest thing I have ever done in my entire life, and forever and ever and ever I will touch that ministry because I think that just if Jesus was here, that is where he would be, completely biased, but I've learned so much about who Jesus is through the bravery of those moms. And, um, and so I had to go camp direct a piece of their camp up north 
but yet was also sitting in this place of a ton of grief and loss. And I still went up, and it was so hard. And the whole week I was like, okay, God, I'm here. Like, give me some sort of sign or some sort of meaning as to why I'm here. And the only thing I could come up with at the end of the week was I just showed up. And there wasn't something extra. It was just I just showed up. And I just showed up and was available to be an agent of God's compassion that he has shown me to then be able to give it away. And I think that God's plan for the world is us. Wow, I'm so emotional. God's plan for the world is us. I really believe this. The way that the world will touch and experience and hear and know the compassion of Jesus is through the people in this room. Oof. <laughs> Sorry. And so in this moment, Jesus is telling the disciples this. <laughs> Thank you, Lily. <laughs> Ooh, this fancy too. This isn't no, this is like multiple use. <laughs> <laughs> I will wash it and return it. <laughs> oh, gosh. Whew. Okay, I've recovered. Are we creating room and space in our lives to receive the compassion of Christ? Are we allowing the story of Jesus to move us away? It did when we heard it for the first time, or the second time, or the third time, or the hundredth time. That's compassion. Okay, let's get to the miracle. Jeez. So Jesus says, right, verse 13, you give them something to eat. And they answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. So the disciples did so and everybody sat down. All right. Let's build some context using the other stories. I love it. So Philip, one of the disciples, he's the one that's actually having this conversation with Jesus and John uh, in the book of John. And he goes, Jesus, like this is like a half year to eight months worth of wages. And scholars say even if they had gone into town and bought food with that amount of wages, Everybody would have just been able to have one bite of food. One bite. So there would have been no one satisfied in the crowd. Such a tease. (laughs) And then also in the book of John, we see Andrew. Andrew pipes in, and Andrew says, well, there there is a little boy here, and this little boy has five loaves of bread and has two fish. And I, I love that Dwayne, I started getting teary-eyed, it's just the day, I guess, but when Dwayne called all the kids up, I was like, oh, he's stealing my sermon. <laughs> but this little boy gets to be the one that provides the provision of five loaves and two fish for a miracle that feeds 
Not just 5,000 men, because we know that there's kids there now. And if there's kids there, there's also who there? Scholars said the crowd could have been up to 18,000. And five loaves and two fish were about to feed this crowd. And this little boy, I love it. Jesus, all throughout his ministry, is elevating kids. We have so much to learn from children, how they see the world, how they experience the world. And he is calling us in other places to be childlike, saying theirs is the kingdom. And so he uses a little boy, and the little boy hands over to Andrew those pieces of bread and fish, and we read what Jesus does here. In verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Dwayne also stole this part of uh, my sermon, but uh, this is a model. I like to use this as a model for communion. Look to heaven, give thanks, break bread. It is a celebration to partake in the compassion of Jesus. It is a celebration to do what we just got to do, and it did sound celebratory in here, and I absolutely loved that. And so to finish verse 16, then he, meaning Jesus, gave them the bread to the disciples to set before the people. So Jesus looks to heaven, gives thanks, breaks the bread, and starts dishing it out to the disciples to then dish out. What is Jesus doing here? He could have easily set up baskets in front of all those clumps of 50 people out on that field and just had bread come down, like how it did in the Old Testament with manna just coming down, right? He could have easily done that. But again, Jesus is reiterating to his disciples, I want you to be a part of giving away my compassion. I want you to be close enough to touch what I am doing. So the disciples get invited in to be a part of this miracle, and they start passing out the bread. What is God putting in your hands to distribute. It might not be bread and fish, but what is God handing to you and putting in your life to give to others? How is God giving you a sign to receive from him to then point other people to who he is? Surely, we can probably all think of something. Not just I can bake and I can give to my neighbor or I could quilt or I can offer accounting advice or I can, right? There's so many gifts and talents, I'm sure, in this room because I believe God has resourced the church with everything the church needs for such a time as this. How is God asking you to distribute what he has given you? Verse 17, they all ate 
and we're satisfied. Okay, they meaning this huge crowd of 18,000 to 20,000 people. In John, it says everyone ate as much as they wanted. I love that. So they all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Okay, how many disciples are there? How many baskets are there? Huh. Kingdom economics don't make sense. God's kingdom, his economics, his plan, his finance, they do not make sense. There were leftovers. Enough for each disciple to take one basket full home. So them, passing out the bread, hungry, because they still hadn't eaten, tired, I can only assume they were annoyed that the crowd probably followed them. I could also probably assume that some of them were questioning these people's motives as to why, right? The crowd was there not because they believed Jesus was king. The crowd was there was because they were trying to check Jesus out and they knew that this guy could heal them. So the disciples were probably also like frustrated by their motives aren't pure. I've never done that. And they returned back from delivering all this food to all this crowd. And they look down and there's a full basket just for them. I mean, we can make a lot of meaning from that. There's always more than enough. We don't have to hold on to things too tightly. In fact, right, with inflation going up and the gas prices and this and that, everyone is just feeling like they need a grip a little bit harder. I have definitely felt that as a newlywed in ministry married to a teacher. (laughs) Do the math. And I think the basket full is Jesus having the disciples go like this. You don't have to grip as hard. There's always more than enough just for you. And so they take these basketfuls and they go on this journey with Jesus. And a couple verses later, okay, in in Luke, same chapter, verse 23 and 24, I can imagine they still have portions of their basket. They've eaten some, but they still are carrying some of the food. And Jesus says this to them. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. I can picture, right, they're holding their basket full, and Jesus is asking them to consider the cost of what this business, this kingdom business is all about. And he's like, are you guys really in now? They probably looked at that food very differently than if they would have eaten first. 
First, it would have been purely, I'm hungry, I need nourishment. After was, this is God's abundant provision, and he is full of compassion. And their eyes begin to open up, and they begin to see Jesus for who he really is. And we know this because in verses 18 through 20, Jesus, once he was praying in private, which, by the way, when you read the Gospels and you're like, dang, Jesus really had to get away to go pray that much? He's Jesus. How much more do I need to get away to go pray and discern what the Father is saying, right? Jesus himself had to go and do that, okay? So he's away. He's praying in private with his disciples who are with him, and he asks them, who do you think the crowds, who do you think those 18,000 people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others uh, that one of the prophets of long ago has maybe come back to life. And Jesus looks at them and he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And in very classic Peter fashion, always the first one to jump up and always the first one to just say something very vocal, Peter. He says, the Christ of God. So, Jesus is asking you in this room this morning, who do you say I am? And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as I close, but as they're coming up, I would like you to imagine, just imagine with me, like you're sitting, I like to sit on a beach, I'm from San Diego, so it's really hard to live here, very hard, but um, I, so I always go back to like I'm sitting on the beach and like Jesus just strolls up and sits next to me, like what kind of conversation would he say? And so I'd like you to imagine just like you and Jesus in a space, and he says, who do you say I am? How would you respond? What words are coming to your mind? Now these words might change season to season. In some seasons, he's been a provider. In some seasons, he's been a healer or a pursuer or a friend. What would you say to Jesus? For me, in the season, a little bit of, you know, my meltdown. He's totally God with me. God is so close to the brokenhearted. We know that from Psalms. So who do you say Jesus is? And as the worship band finishes with this song, consider that question. And if you need to move past that space, some other reflective questions that you consider is, am I remaining interruptible for the kingdom? What is God filling my basket with for me to give away? And those are some things I just want to invite you guys to think about as we reflect on this last song. Let me pray. God, thank you. That you reveal yourself to us. And I pray in this moment that you would do that. That we would freely receive your compassion so that we can freely give it away.
you are almighty God, powerful God, but also a close God and a near God and a compassion God. Help us to receive what it is that you have in store for us. It's your mighty and powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's.